Well, amen. Good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, it's nice and cool outside for us. It's always a joy to get to gather together uh, as the body of Christ and worship together. Uh, Communion is always a super special time for us as a church family as we uh, fix our eyes on Jesus and what he's done for us. Uh, we are currently in a series called Knowing God where we've been walking through uh, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this. This has been super helpful for me been super helpful for our family. Uh, Will's running around talking about, uh, he loved the story of the terrible lie, which is the serpent in the garden, so I don't know what to say about that other than uh, I hope he understands the Savior that he's going to need uh, because of that terrible lie. But we've had fun with it, and I hope you're uh, jumping in, not just to be here on Sunday mornings, but the 412 reading plan. Uh, I hope you're getting to uh, dig deeper into a small group as we discuss these things and how we can apply them uh, into our life, and I hope you're taking advantage of the family worship night, uh, and as we journey together as a church, my prayer is that God would just really take us deeper in our faith and that we would understand the full measure of uh, God's word and what it is and this story that he's given to us as a revelation of himself. And so this morning, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 is where we'll start and we'll bounce around a few places, but that'll be uh, the key text for us. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll jump right in. Father, we uh, love you. Father, as we turn our attention toward uh, your word, God, your revelation to us of who you are, uh, God, we recognize that your word is a big deal. Uh, Father, we recognize that it is not just a book. It is the word of God. It is your words to us, Lord, and we recognize that it's living and that it's active and that it speaks directly to our hearts, God, and it transforms us from the inside out. So, Father, we pray that this morning as we read your word, God, that you would transform our mind, you would transform our hearts, and God, that you would produce fruit in our lives. So, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, already in the book of Genesis, we have seen the creation. We've seen how God is a creator God. Uh, he created us. Thus, we need to look to him to figure out who we are and what our purpose is. Uh, we've moved forward to Genesis 3 and saw the fall, how uh, even though God created us, we rebelled against God. And uh, we turned and chose sin and chose to do it our own way. But God gave us a glimpse of hope in the gospel that was to come. And then the next thing we see is that the fall wasn't just one sin that happened. We see kind of how that began to uh, exist in all mankind, all the way to the point where God flooded the earth because it had become uh, so evil. And then the next thing you know, we see Bo preach about the Tower of Babel and how uh, just because Noah got off the boat doesn't mean that sin didn't get off the boat with him. We see this story of rebellion, how not was it just singular rebellion, but it was all of the sinners coming together to try to build this tower for their own name. And so uh, what we see happen is just this curse of sin, like a disease throughout uh, the world. And so in Genesis 12, uh, God kind of shifts his focus uh, to what we're going to call the redemptive story uh, that will lead us up to the cross. All the way back in Genesis 12, we see the story that will eventually lead to Jesus Christ through a person. He's going to shift his focus to a family, a person, and that person's name is Abram. So let's read Genesis 12, 1. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, 
and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So if you think God's done with you, uh, he's using 75-year-olds here so he can use you as well. He's not done with what he's trying to do. So we get this picture of uh, Abram. This guy would, obviously, God would eventually change his name to Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him as that. But I'm gonna say uh, this is where God begins this redemptive narrative. And so I wanna point out three things to you uh, this morning. The first is the call of God. I think from this passage, we can recognize how God comes and calls people. We can learn about what it looks like uh, for God to call us to follow him as well. And so uh, letter A, write this down. He called Abraham out of idolatry. Uh, just like the Tower of Babel, where uh, you see mankind beginning to try to build a name for themselves, Abram was the same way. A lot of people don't know this about Abram, but Joshua uh, chapter 24, uh, verse 2, tells us that God actually first found Abram in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, right? And it tells us in Joshua 24 that this place called Ur was a city full of idols. It was a, a place where idolatry was going on. What do I, why do I say that? I want you to understand that God finds us all in a similar place. It doesn't matter if we're Abraham or Billy Shiver in, the 20, in 2021. He finds us all in a similar place, and that is a place of rebellion and a place where we are not worshiping him. We're giving our worship and our time and our energy to things other than him. Abram wasn't a believer. His family wasn't uh, believers. He, he, he was living to make a name for himself, and God found him in the same place he finds us. He was lost and God found him and steps into our idolatry. And what does he do? He calls him out of that into a better way of life. What does he tell him in verse 12? He says to leave your country, leave your people, leave your family, walk away from it and go to a place uh, that you don't even know about, but I'm gonna lead you. We see this, this idea of uh, the place, the people, everything that Abraham has ever known, God says to walk away from it. And this is not just a call that we see with God and Abraham. We see this in the New Testament with Jesus, right? Think about how Jesus called the man, the rich young ruler. You've probably heard this story before. God comes up to a rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler has a conversation with him. Uh, Jesus sees that this rich young ruler uh, loves his money, and he loves his money more than anything else. His money is an idol in his life. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he, he didn't want to turn from his idols, right? And he, he, he went there. Not only that, we see it with uh, the woman at the well in the New Testament, John chapter 4. We see this woman uh, that God goes out of his way uh, to encounter at a well in Samaria, and this woman had been married five times and she was living with another husband. So we see this like uh, track record in her life of giving herself to relationships, thinking that relationships and love and sex and marriage is gonna fill this hole in her heart. And Jesus says, listen, I have better water for you to drink. And what do you see this woman do? 
She walks away from all of that and she comes to Jesus. He points out the idol in her life and he calls her forth from it the same way he does here uh, in the life of Abram. So here's something I want you to write down. Two things will always characterize the call to follow Jesus. There's two things. Anytime Jesus comes, he finds us in our idolatry, worshiping ourselves and selfishness. That's all of our story. He calls us forward and two things will always happen in that call. Number one, God will always bring us face to face with our idol, always. He will always bring us face to face because it's when we look at him and his call on our life that we start to realize what we truly worship. Maybe it's comfort, maybe uh, we'll, we'll see a few things that it could be here in just a minute. The second thing is this, God will always ask us to lay our idols down and follow him. We can't have another God or an idol and God. He doesn't do that. Right, And so many people want God, but we want God on our own terms, right? I want Jesus, but I wanna keep my lifestyle and keep what I'm doing, but that's not Christianity. We can't have both God and our way. We can't serve two masters, as Jesus would go on to say. And so uh, you'd say, well, well, Billy, how do I recognize what this is in my life, right? This is a call. This is about the call when Jesus first calls us to follow him. But this is something that will be consistently going on in our life. As we look to Christ, he will be showing us areas of our life that are not surrendered or things that we love more than him. So how do we recognize idolatry in our house? I mean, it's not like you and I are building a statue or a Tower of Babel out back. You know, that isn't really what it looks like for us. But what it does look like for us is this, an idol is anything or anyone that's more important to us than God. Anything or anyone that's more important to us than God. It's anything uh, that controls or absorbs our heart, our affections, our thoughts, our time, our money, and our energy more than God. It's, it's what we put and what we look to or seek to give us what only God was designed to give us. Let me give you some examples. Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods that uh, really does an incredible job explaining Idolatry, and he says a few of the idols that we uh, tend to look to is this. Number one, or the first one, uh, is approval idolatry. We look to approval uh, to give us what only God can give us. And he says, if approval is this, then this is kind of what it looks like in our minds. Life for me only has meaning, or I only have worth if I am loved and respected by blank. You insert whatever it is. So it's this idea of uh, life is meaning and I'm happy if I'm approved or if I'm loved and respected by this or that. Another one's comfort. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I have a particular quality of life. Right? We, we look to materials uh, to give us comfort or a particular quality of life to say, if I'm comfortable, I'll be happy. Another one's control. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I'm able to control every area of my life. I don't want to relinquish control and trust God. I want to control, right? This is common uh, for each of us. Another one would be achievement idolatry. Life only has meaning or I have worth if I'm being recognized for my accomplishments and I'm excelling in my work. So we link this idea of happiness or joy or satisfaction to our achievement. 
Uh, again, materialism is another one. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth or financial freedom or a very nice possessions. Another could be relationship idolatry. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if Miss Wright or Mr. Wright loves me or is in love with me. Another one can be image idolatry. Listen, I could go on for days and days. Uh, life only has meaning uh, if I look a certain way or if I have a particular kind of body image. Usually comparison goes along with that, right? And so whatever it is in our heart that we say, if I don't have this, then I cannot be happy. Or if I lose this, then there's no way life is worth living. That is what we are worshiping. Right? And so for most of us, it's not that these things are bad things. Right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in shape. None of those things. But when those things, uh, good things become God things, and they, they are linked to our happiness and our joy, and they're linked to our value, then they become an idol. And when they become an idol, we can't have an idol and God in our hearts at the same time. God will always call us from us. So here's my question for you. Like the rich young ruler and like the woman at the well, if you came face to face with Christ, that's my goal in preaching today. If we all came face to face with Jesus, what would he point out in our life? What would it be that he calls us away from? What would he ask you to walk away from? What is it that's holding, what is it that's in the place of God in your heart? And we see in Abraham, God calling Abraham, he calls him out of that idolatry. The second thing, letter B, uh, not only does he call him out of idolatry, he calls Abram out of comfort, right? He calls him out of comfort, not only out of comfort, but into the unknown, which is just as, as bad uh, because it's just as uncomfortable to have to trust God, not even knowing uh, where he's, he's leading you to go. So I want you to see and think about uh, what God is asking Abraham. He says, listen, leave your home. Leave your people, the people you like, your friends, your cousins, all of this. Leave your family and go to a place. And by the way, I'm not gonna tell you where you're going. Just go and I'll let you know on the way. It makes me think about somebody uh, moving. I, I heard this uh, story one time of, of, of an, a cool idea for a date was just to load up your spouse and go to the airport and walk up to the thing and say, hey, uh, we got all of our stuff loaded up. Uh, we're looking to move somewhere. And uh, we're gonna move somewhere and I want you to choose what it is. You just give us a ticket to this place and we'll call the moving company and they're bringing all of our stuff. We think about that and we're like, that is crazy. Like, why would you wanna do something like that? Think about the moving guy. He's like, hey, we want you to load up this house. Everything we got in this, we're moving. Okay, where to, buddy? Hey, we don't know. We're waiting on God to tell us. If you did that to a moving guy, he'd be like, what in the world is going on, right? It's the same thing when we see the call of God in Abraham's life. It sounds crazy. Everything that he had ever known, his security, his comfort, the people that he was comfortable around, God says, hey, I want you to leave here and go somewhere. Leave everything you've ever known. Can you think about how crazy that would be and how uncomfortable that would be in our life? But it seems like in the Bible, following Jesus and comfort are always at odds. God's not concerned with our comfort as much as he's concerned with our trust. He wants, him, he wants us to trust him. But I want you to see that's exactly what God is doing here. He's asking Abraham to trust him. How much would you have to trust a person to, to, to answer that call and to go from everything you've ever known, your security, your financial provision, your family, your food, uh, everything you've ever known, 
and go to a place that he didn't even tell you where you were going. You would have to trust not just a little, you would have to trust that person with your life. That's the call to follow Jesus. He wants us not to just trust him a little bit where we need him, but to trust him fully. He's asking Abraham to give up control. That's not comfortable. He's asking Abraham to give up his plans, what he wants to do with his life. He's asking him to surrender that. That's not comfortable. He's asking him to trust him completely with his life, with his family, with his security, with his providing, who's gonna provide for him. All of those things, when you start to think about that on your life, that should make you feel uncomfortable. Francis Chan would always say it this way, to literally live your life this way means that if God doesn't come true, if what he says doesn't come through for you, if, if, if he is not true to his promises, then basically you're sitting there uh, pretty much screwed. He says your life literally will not work if you've built your life on the promises of God and God doesn't come through. But for many of us in this room, you know, we live a life of faith, but the faith is kind of dependent on the way we think faith should be. Francis Chan would always talk about this idea of if God didn't come through in your life, if God wasn't real, would it change anything about the way you live your life? For many of us, where we live in the Bible Belt, faith really doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of an intellectual sin or it's just words. But in the Bible, literally, the life of faith is calling you away from what you've trusted in your entire life and saying, no, I'm gonna trust in God to do and be everything for me. And this is not just call, God's call to Abraham. We see this in the life of Jesus with his disciples in the New Testament. Remember how he called Andrew and Peter? Remember when Jesus walks up to Andrew and Peter, they're fishermen, I love it. Uh, they're at a fishing dock, they're casting their net out. Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. In that, what he's telling them is, hey, leave the fishing dock, leave your boat, leave your poles, leave your nets, leave everything, and come and follow me. For them, fishing was everything they'd ever known. They were two brothers that had a fishing business that he basically said, hey, walk away from that and come and follow me because I'm the savior of the world. And that's the call that Jesus gives. Let's write this down. The invitation to follow Jesus is a call to surrender the comforts of our control and give Jesus complete control of our lives. Listen to that again. The invitation to follow Jesus is first a call to surrender the comforts of our control and secondly, to give Jesus complete control of our lives. One of the questions that we ask people when they're getting baptized, the first one is, do you trust that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? Do you believe Jesus is Savior, basically? Yes. But the second question that we always add in there is a question of lordship. It's a question of faith. It's a question of surrender. Are you willing to do what God asks you to do and go wherever God asks you to go. Why do we ask that? Because when we see faith in the Bible, that is what it is. It's literally coming to God open-handed with our yes on the table and saying, God, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. To me, there's no greater picture in this world of uncomfort. But we are comfortable when we are in control. 
But the call to follow Jesus is not a call for you to be in control. It's a call to give him control. We have to understand that. Let me ask you a question then. Do you trust God that way? Have you given control of your life over to God so much so? Do you trust him so much that you're willing to say, God, here I am, whatever, whenever, I'm ready. That's what we see in the life of Abraham. Lastly, I want you to see, not only does he call him out of uh, idolatry, not only does he call him out of uh, comfort, but he calls Abram into a promise. Notice this, God never calls us from something or away from something without calling us into something better. That makes sense? This is huge to understand. He calls Abram into a promise. Listen, uh, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. Here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Talk about a blessing. This is not just Abraham walking into a blind trust. This is a God that has promised Abraham a lot. He's made big promises. And Abraham, that the value of what he did was he believed those promises more than he believed his own uh, plan and what he wanted. And, and here's what I want you to write down. Our willingness to follow God is directly connected with our trust in God's promises. Get that. Our willingness to, to follow God wherever, whenever, is directly connected with our trust of God's promises. When we understand God's promise to us, we're willing to lay down our comfort. We're willing to lay down our idolatry because what God's offering us is better. That's why we have to understand God's promises, namely the promises that we see in the scriptures. So here it is, the foundation of our faith in God is the absolute trustworthiness of his promises. It's the only foundation in our life that will not crack. When we begin to establish our life and build our life on the promises of God, we can take to the bank that what he's promised will happen. On the other hand, when we build our life on ourselves and on our own promises, we don't know if they're gonna come true or not, right? We change like the wind. We can't change circumstances. We can't change all these things. But when we build our life on the promises of God, we can rest assured that what he's promised will come to fruition. There's really nothing more freeing in your life than, than, base, than, than building your life on the sure promises of God. Jesus gives this uh, illustration of a man who had built his house on a rock. And when the floods and the circumstances and the rains and the hurricane and the winds came, they beat against the house on the rock and it didn't fall. Everybody's like, yeah, that's who I want to be. And then on the other hand, he says, hey, there's another guy who built his house and he built it on sand. And when the winds came, the circumstances came and, 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 and everything came against him, that house crumbled because it had been built on the sand. That, this one guy built his house on what he thought, his desires, what he thought was a good plan. And when everything in the world came against it, it, it fell. But this other guy built his house on the promises of God. And because he trusted that God said what he said and trusted that what he said was true, when everything came against him, it did not fall. J.I. Packer, one of the authors of Knowing God, uh, says it this way in his book. The promises of God are the proper God-given basis for all of our life of faith. 
So we must learn and trust God's promises. The way to strengthen one's faith is to focus it upon, a, upon particular promises that speak to one's condition. So whenever we are weak in faith, we should open up God's word and set our hearts upon appropriate promises. If we wanna have strong faith, if we wanna have the ability to walk away from idols in our life, if we wanna walk away from comfort, if we're gonna do what God's asked us to do and call us, if we wanna see God do great things in us and through us, it, and if we wanna follow God wholeheartedly, I'm telling you, it will start with us knowing and trusting the promises of God. This is why being in our Bible is so important. We will not know the promises of God if we do not open our Bible and read them. But when we can begin to know them and trust them, then we can begin to say yes to God's invitation and go because we realize what he's promising us is better than anything we could ever do on our own. So let's review. Three things we see in the call of Abram. He called Abram away from idolatry. He called him out of his comfort and he called him to trust in his promises. Let me ask you a question. Has your salvation experience, does your relationship with God, are those three characteristics what it looks like? Has, have you ever left idols in your life to follow God? Have you ever walked away from what you're comfortable with, maybe a friend group, maybe things that you were doing, maybe a lifestyle, and trusted that God's lifestyle was better? Has what God called you to do caused you to trust in his promises? That's the call of God. Listen, I, I explain it this way. Anytime I'm leading somebody uh, to Christ or got them at a point where they're ready to get saved, hey, it's like coming to the edge of a cliff. And when you come to the edge of that cliff and God's asking you to jump off away from everything you've ever known, you have to trust that God's hands are down there waiting to catch you with something better than what you're leaving behind when you jump off of that cliff. But at some point, you gotta step. That's the call of God. For many of us, our step to follow God is, was too comfortable because we've not truly surrendered to God the way we see in the Bible. The second thing I think we can see uh, in this passage uh, is the faith of Abraham. It's so important you see Abraham. We've learned songs about Abraham. We can learn so much from his faith, right? He's, he's literally Father Abraham. Literally most of the religions that exist in the world today can be tracked back uh, to Abraham. Judaism, Christianity, Muslims all go back uh, to the person of Abraham. The Muslims take a little bit different view of Ishmael versus Isaac, but all comes back to Father Abraham, right? We sing songs about it. He's an example. He's listed uh, in the hall of faith, which is Hebrews 11, eight through 10. I want you to listen to what the New Testament says about the faith of Abraham. Verse eight, 11, uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So you see this idea and you have to understand what Abraham would have walked away from. This guy would have been, I mean, 
where he came from. Ur of the Chaldeans was a very rich and wealth and, 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 and progressive place. This guy would have walked away from essentially a kingdom, like a, a ranch. Like you think about a nice life in America, he would have walked away from it to, to walk into what God has asked him to, to walk into. I want, to, I want to just point out a couple of things about Abram's faith. The first one was this, letter A. Abram's faith looked up. We notice about Abram's faith throughout the Bible, anywhere you see it, it was characterized uh, by two things. It was characterized by listening and obeying. Always listening and obeying. Abraham didn't rely on his own experiences, his own wisdom, his own effort to control his life. He didn't trust in his own heart or judgment or his feelings or what he felt like to lead him. He lived a life by faith. He listened to God and he did what he said always. Write this down. The opposite of faith is control. If you want to know the, what faith looks like, it's good to know what the opposite of faith is. The opposite of faith is when you're in control, when you make decisions based off of what you want to do versus what God wants to do. You see, many of us, that's how we live our lives. We live our lives trying to control everything, constantly asking, how do I get control of this situation or this circumstance? What do I do so that I can control the outcome of this? Trust me, I know I'm, I'm wrestling through these same things with you. I wanna control everything about my son. Hey, where can I do this where he'll turn out this way or where can I do with this to turn out this way? And God's saying, just trust me, trust me. I'm gonna ask you to do some things that's gonna cultivate a relationship with, with me and his heart, but trust me, I got him. It's important that we understand and we don't continue to ask questions, what things don't I need uh, to avoid maintaining control in my life? If we spend our life in this turmoil of what can I do to control this, to control that outcome, what do I not need to do so that I don't lose control of this or that, we're gonna drive ourselves crazy. That's a life of worry. That's a life of anxiety. That's a life of illusion because we can't control anything. That's the point of God. God is in control. If we begin to trust in him, there's a huge freedom. When we begin to, to try to control, it will always fail us. It will always lead to a life of constant worry, anxiety, and insecurity. And if that's you and you're sitting in this room, allow me to free you up. Let go and begin to trust God. God really does love you and he wants to walk with you and he wants to work out things in your life. If you'll just focus on him the same way Abraham did, it will be important. A couple things I want you to see about listening and obeying. True faith is characterized by two things. I want you to write this down. Listening to God and obeying God. Important. If you don't hear anything else today, that's what I want you to hear. What is true faith? It's listening to God and doing what he tells you to do. It's so simple, it's almost childlike, but it's so profound. In every situation in your life, I could literally answer with this thing. Listen to God and do what he tells you to do. Any situation, it doesn't matter where you are this morning, the, the, the best thing you can hear is to listen to God and do what he says. So here's a question. Is your life characterized by listening to God and obeying God? Would somebody say, man, that person, or he's a guy, that Billy, man, he really listens to God and does what he says, even when it's not popular, even when it's not comfortable, he listens to God 
and he does what he tells him to do. And I, I wanna help you just as your pastor for a minute uh, with listening, obeying. I wanna give you three secrets to each of these things. In my life, the secrets that I've learned about listening to God are three things. And if you've been through heart and soul, you've heard them before. You gotta get alone, you gotta dig into God's word, and you gotta pray. If you wanna listen to God, that's where listening is gonna start. It's gonna start with you creating margin in your life, non-distracted time, away from everything with no outside voices and coming to God open-handed and say, Lord, I'm here, I wanna hear from you. And it's gonna take you opening God's word and beginning to listen. And I'm not talking about just God, hey, I need an answer to this, boom. I'm talking about beginning a pattern in your life where you are reading God's word on a regular basis. And not just reading it to get through the reading, but reading it not distracted with an open heart to learn about God and to learn about yourself and to learn what his purpose is for your life. And then lastly, prayer. That's how we communicate with God. Talk to God. I know it's weird because he's not there and he don't talk back to you, but tell him, hey, God, this is what I'm wrestling with. God, hey, here's where I'm at. Lord, would you show me? And then begin to look in God's word for promises to that or talk to people around you that know the promises of God a little bit better than you that can say, hey, you're struggling with worry and anxiety. Let me point you to a scripture. Let me point you to God's promises about that. Three secrets to obey. Trust, courage, and accountability. If you, want, if you want to know how to follow God and be obedient to what he's asking you to do, you got to trust him. Listen, for most of us, this is our problem. When God asks us to do something that's uncomfortable, if we don't trust that his plan is better for our life than our plan, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. That's why belief literally starts with us trusting that God is who he says he is and that his promises are true. That's why it's the foundation of our faith. Courage. Following Jesus is not easy. There's a reason that literally the most used phrase in the entire Bible uh, is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Why do you think God would say that to pretty much every person that ever followed him? Because some of the things that God is gonna ask you to do, the control that God is gonna ask you to give up, the uncomfortable steps that God is gonna ask you to take, you're gonna have to hear, do not be afraid, I'm with you. Because it's only trusting him that's gonna allow us to take the steps of obedience that God has asked us to take. And then thirdly, accountability. Listen, if you're serious about obedience, do not try to do it on your own. You will not make it very far. This is what connect groups are all about. Listen, we wanna surround you with a group of people that are trying to step and follow God in obedience the same way you are so that you can be encouraged. Because listen, obedience is a difficult thing and we need people around us that can encourage us when we get discouraged. So not only did Abraham's faith look up to God, it also looked forward. Listen, he, Abraham was never focused on the here and now. I'm not saying he's perfect, he focused sometimes, but he was focused on the promises of God. He was running a race and he was fixed forward on the promises of God. It says Abraham lived in tents like a stranger in a foreign land. This dude moved from the Taj Mahal and moved into a tent in a land that wasn't even his. 
And it says he made his home there. Like, I ain't going nowhere. This is my home because this is what God has told me. Abraham's faith looked different. What are we seeing? A commonality with Noah. Noah was building a boat when it wasn't even raining. Never rained. In a desert. God told him to. That's what he did. He based his life on the promises of God and on what God told him to do. And because of that, his life looked different. Listen, you and I live in a world full of people that are living for the moment. Instant gratification. Whatever, whenever, I'm ready to do it if it'll make me happy. We live in a world full of people living for themselves, listening to their own hearts and their own plans and their own desires, going with the flow, looking outward to what other people are doing and comparing themselves to others on Facebook and following in the footsteps of other people. But Christian, God has called you to follow him, not follow anything else. And when we do that, our life will look different. We will look like Abraham, living in a tent, in a foreign land that is not even ours yet because we believe that God was gonna give, us, give it to us. We must understand that the promises of God and the ways of the world are opposite. The promises of God and the ways of the world are opposites. So let me ask you a question. Does your life look different? Can people tell that you're not listening to voices out here? You're not listening to your heart or following your dreams. You're listening to the voice of God. How much weight does God's word have in your life? Is it your playbook? Is it your manual that you're looking to? Is it what you're quoting? Is it what you're teaching your kids? Does it have the authority in your life? Does your life look different because you're building it on the promises of God? Does how you make decisions or how you manage your money or how, how, what your view of marriage and dating is or, or how you parent your kids, are they shaped more by what you think? Are they shaped by God's promises and God's word? You'd say, well, Billy, I believe. Like, I, I believe God's promises. I want to build my life on God's promises. Well, here's what I'd ask you. The best definition for, that I know about what it truly means to believe. Listen, and some of this uh, will step on a, a few of our toes, but I think it's important to understand. What you actually believe, right? It's one thing to say you believe something, but if you wanna know what you actually believe, it takes two things. What you actually believe equals what you state you believe, but then also what your actions say you believe, right? So your lived actions verse, uh, plus your stated belief equals what you actually believe. So for some of us, the issue isn't that we don't know the promises of God. The issue is that we're not living out the promises of God, which means we truly don't believe the promises of God. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself because there's areas of my life that if I don't hold them up in light of Abraham and say, God, in which ways is my life not like Abraham? And I don't give God the space to show me areas of my life where I'm not willing to step away from comfort or I'm not willing to step away from something that I've become accustomed to in my life uh, that, that really has moved into the place of an idol that I look for value and identity and worth in. If I'm not giving him the space to do that and I'm just saying, God, yeah, you're the, you're the God of my life. I worship you. But I'm not looking into the mirror of God's word to say, God, but I also wanna hold my life up 
do I actually believe this? Because what we actually believe will always be a combination of those things. Do we pass the test of faith? Letter C, not only did Abraham's faith look up, not only did it look forward, Abraham's faith wasn't perfect and it was a journey of perseverance. Let me give you a little hope for a minute. Abraham struggled too. It's easy to read the story of Abraham and think he was perfect, but there was a battle going on in Abraham's life. And if you read uh, for the next few chapters, you'll see that Abraham struggled. We see him in this battle of of depending on what he thinks versus depending on God. I call it self-reliance versus God-reliance. We see a situation with Abraham and his dad, even in Genesis 12, where God calls Abram to leave his family. Did you notice that? Leave his family. Well, guess who he took with him when he went to Haran? He took his dad. He was disobedient partially to what God had asked him to do. And because he took his dad, guess where he ended up? God said go to Canaan later, but he ended up in Haran. What was Haran? His father's hometown. So instead of listening to God, Abram listened to his father. And so we see there's struggle in Abraham's life of listening to the voice of God, and he eventually did, but he listened to the voice of his dad first. We also see it in another situation. Abram, when he went to Egypt, a famine came along, and Abram went on down to Egypt because he knew there would be food there uh, so that the group of people he was leading wouldn't die. But he was scared. He was scared that the Egyptians uh, would kill him or, or, or basically enslave him. And so he said to his wife, Sarah, hey, act like you're my sister. Tell them you're my sister, which technically later on in the Bible we see they are half brother, half sister. But uh, for the sake of of what he was trying to do, instead of going in and trusting that God was going to provide and bless those who bless him and be a blessing to them, he went in under his own plan. And he said, hey, just tell them you're my sister. And because of that, God brought plagues on on Egypt. And they were like, get out of here. Right? He was partially disobedient. Again, we see Abraham and Hagar, right? Hagar, most of us know this story. Abraham and Sarah were struggling with infertility. So Sarah steps up and says, well, why don't you just sleep with my slave girl? And so he does, and they end up having uh, Ishmael, right, which is Abraham's first son. Was that God's will? No, that was Abraham listening to Sarah instead of listening to God. Right, And so we see this battle going on in Abraham's life and this imperfection of his faith of, man, do I listen to God or do I listen here? It's the same battle that you and I will be in for the rest of our lives. Are you listening to God or are you listening to voices around you? You can't listen to what everybody has to say. You listen to people who point you to the voice of God. That's what it means to focus on the Lord. You know, it's important to understand that faith is less about being perfect and more about persevering in a journey. Write that down. It's more important to understand. We have to understand this. Faith is less about being perfect and it's more about persevering in a journey. Because listen, it's this journey of faith, these things that God's gonna have us walk through, not all good things, some suffering and other things in our life that we'll have to walk through as a part of this faith journey that shape us into who God's called us to be. Abraham just didn't fully trust God. 
you know, he, he trusted God more as an older man than he did as a, a young man, right? And, and so hopefully in our life, we'll see this progressive sanctification as God grows us and as we begin to walk through things with God. For some of us, we need to stop focusing on our performance and focus on enjoying the process of sanctification that God's trying to do in our life. Listen, you're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to swing and miss sometimes. But praise God that we have a God that will never leave us or never forsake us. He doesn't throw his hands up with us. He stays with us. He perseveres. Our faith is more dependent on his faithfulness than it is ours. That's the gospel. And so we must look to him and come alongside of him. Lastly, the third thing we see, see as we finish up is a promised blessing. I showed you this as we were reading in the beginning, but Genesis 12, 3 show us that all peoples on the earth would be blessed through Abraham. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. This through you is a foreshadowing of an offspring that would come through the lineage of Adam. That offspring uh, would result in uh, a family, which is the Israelites, and the Israelites would result in a savior named Jesus that would come and he would be the promised blessing for you and I, for the Gentiles, for the Jewish nation, for everybody, the promised blessing that we're about to read about uh, in Galatians 3, verses 6 through 14. Paul goes on to say this about this promised blessing that we get that will be good news of great joy for all people. Listen to this, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How did Abraham become righteous? He believed God. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. I'm gonna skip down to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. What is this promised blessing? I want you to write this down. You gotta pay attention. I want you to write down faith. I want you to write a little arrow. I want you to write righteousness. Through faith in Christ, we receive righteousness that we could never attain on our own. So through faith in Christ, we get righteousness. The next thing is righteousness. I want you to put an arrow, and I want you to put relationship. Because of what Christ did on the cross for us, he gave us his righteousness. Because we are now righteous, something we could never do through the law, we can be in proximity with God, because God can't be around sin, but when we're righteous, we can now come into a relationship with God. And then lastly, relationship, arrow, access. Because we have a relationship with God, get this, the same blessing that Abraham had, the same promises that were true for Abraham now become true for us. God's blessing resides upon us. How would you define God's blessing? Here's how I would define God's blessing because some people would say that means we're gonna be rich and everybody's gonna be healthy and all these things. But in scripture, we see that God's blessing is his power, his presence, and his purpose in our life. If you wanna read more about it, go to Ephesians 1. But God gives us this promise of the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we get God's power. 
We get God's presence with us and we get God's purpose at work in our lives and through our lives. And in Galatians, Paul's biggest deal is that you understand that none of that comes because you perform great. It's all a gift of God through faith in Christ. And that's the difference in the gospel and any other religion that you'll come face to face with. Most religions will say, Billy, if you do this, do this, do this, then God will bless your life. The gospel says, if you'll put your faith in Jesus, if you'll surrender your life to Christ, then God will put a gift in you and that gift will bring about the blessing of God. So bow your head right where you are. I just wanna ask you a question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Listen, we talked about the call of God. Has that become true in your life? Have you come to the edge of that cliff and said, God, I trust you and took the step? Have you trusted in God, not just verbally, not just with words, but does your life show that you trusted in God? I believe there's a next step for every one of us this morning, but for some of us in this room, for the very first time, God's asking us to trust that he's done everything necessary to save us from our sins and that he wants to, to do a work in us and through us. And if that's you this morning, you say, Billy, that's me. I've never trusted God that way, but this morning I wanna trust him. Would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. You say, Billy, that's, that's me. I know it is. God's speaking to my heart. So Father, here's our prayer. God, as your people, Lord, I pray, God, that Abraham's life would be an example for us. Bob, but God, we wouldn't have this, this, this high view of Abraham without having a high view of Jesus because Abraham needed Jesus the same way we did. Father, would you teach us to walk in obedience? God, would you teach us to listen to you and do what you say? And God, because of that, will we be a people that live wherever we live with whoever we live and our lives look different. And they're different not because of anything about us, but because of the promised one that we've received. So Father, that's our prayer. God, would you help us be the church you've called us to be? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you back next week.